Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Oh, hello. You found Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, and entertainment that's been inspiring and provoking us lately. Three words that I definitely associate with Warhammer 40k. Uh, Gather around the table this week for an impromptu group therapy session about our degrees of Warhammer 40k habit that we're nursing. Uh, We have... Uh, Motherboard Managing Editor, Emmanuel Myberg. Hey, hello. Good to be here. Uh, Motherboard Writer, Matthew Galt. Hello, hello. And Nextlanders, Vinny Caravella. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming out. Uh, So, I guess I'll start this out by, like, putting a little bit of framing on this conversation. I guess this all starts with Emmanuel making a dubious impulse purchase a few weeks ago. Uh, Emmanuel went back and bought the collection of Dawn of War 1, Warhammer 40k, Dawn of War 1, the Relic RTS series from a long time ago. I was like, what was going on when Warhammer, when, when Dawn of War came out? I oh was either God. in high school or I had just started college, but like it was, it was a while ago. Uh, and that was the first Warhammer RTS that Relic made. Uh, but I think, you know, stemming from that, curious decision uh a bunch of us started talking about how that game feels like a pivot point in our relationship with warhammer and how a bunch of us have ended up being despite having never been warhammer players never having like indulged in the tabletop lifestyle with that series we've all ended up becoming weird warhammer nerds um Emil, i guess I'll, I'll start off with you what gives with the need to return to Warhammer and and why did you feel like it was time that we all we all sort of gather in a circle and pass our feelings back and forth about Warhammer? So I sent you a screenshot of a Steam receipt of me buying that collection, and that's when you were looped into the struggle. But the struggle begins long before that. Um basically it goes like I mean, I know that on Waypoint you guys play a lot of indie games and uh, deck builders and stuff like that. And that has been keeping you fed. But uh, Matthew and I, we have like a, a separate chat, separate gaming chat, the real gaming chat. Mm-hmm. And we've been struggling all year because we don't feel like we've been getting our fill of big budget, huge gun filled video games. Yeah. And like the one thing on the horizon we're really looking forward to is this Targtide, Darktide video game. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we just have way too much writing on it. It's just like, that's the game that's going to carry us through to the end of the year. Um, and we've just supposed been talking to be out about in September, the- got pushed back to November. And that's what I think, I think broke a few of us, I think. Yeah. Me. That's when I was like, I was like, I need this game real bad and I need Warhammer real bad. And I was like, well, I can just go back and play all these other Warhammer games. There's so many of them. And I'll just start at the beginning, which is, is Dawn of War. Um, so that's why I bought it. Um, and I've been playing, I think last time I was on the podcast, we were talking about The Last of Us. Yeah. And I did some heavy research that you were impressed by. And I just want to give you my, my, my research for this podcast. I played all of Dawn of War, the first one, the campaign. I played the Winter Assault Expansion Pack campaign. Then I played the Dark Crusade campaign. Then I played Dawn of War 2. Then I yeah. played some of the expansion for 2. And then I played 3. And I've also played a lot of Space Marine, which is also a relic game, like the, the third-person yes. shooter. So I've been deep, deep inside uh, Relic's version you of know, this world. I would say, Emmanuel... I don't know if impressed is the word that I would use for how Disgusted. I feel about the research you, you've done for the show, but I do feel I am. It is something to really step back and stare at for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially because some of those games, I also uh, ended up like firing Dawn of War one back up and, and I was sort of struck by this game was so perfect in my memory and it it's still good but i it's it's a very old rts uh in in a lot of ways uh vinny i think like me you're also in a, in a weird boat where you keep abreast of a lot of what's happening in warhammer world and like dip your toe in and out of it but would you draw a lot would you would you stop short of saying like oh like i'm i'm hugely into warhammer like are you sort of in denial here cuz like <laughs> i don't think of myself as a warhammer guy uh-huh. and yet and yet, if I think about stuff I tune into or get real excited for or just like lore I know a weird amount about, I might be a Warhammer guy. It's funny. Yeah, I, I think it's so it's 40K specifically because then I like kind of look down my nose at Warhammer fantasy in a weird way. That's just like, oh, please. No, 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 no. I am not a Warhammer fantasy person. I don't even know what's ha- Age of Sigmar. That's that's for you know cuckoo bananas people no i'm over here with the space marines <laughs> we're, we're doing we're doing the god emperor stuff over here uh yeah i i don't consider myself a warhammer 40k person at all yet i have like 10 books on a shelf you know i also have yeah, real, like, real question uh does the name garviel loken mean anything to you gar what is it garviel garviel loken Wait no, who's Garviel uh, Loken? Okay, so okay, you're not you're, okay. He we'll knows. He it. knows. He forgot. He forgot, but he knows. The hero okay. of the first Horus Heresy books. Wait, Luper so is he, is he the is he the White Wolf? Is he in the white? Is he in the Wolves? I, Space yeah, Wolves. The Luna Wolves. Okay. Yeah, he's the he's the yeah. one. So he is the one who resists the call of Satan. Basically, yes. you know how in Paradise Lost, <laughs> there's the one angel who's like uh-huh. Lucifer. I don't know about this rebellion against God. That's yeah. Loken. Uh, That's what people usually compare 40k to is Paradise Lost. It's really yeah. on the it's on the same literary level. That's uh where where we go. Yeah. So I I went through. I read through the Horus Heresy until I realized it's never going to be what I wanted to be, which is the confrontation. Like, got up to the point where Horus is is changed and then like it converted, and I'm like, awesome, let's do this. And then jumped out when I realized they're just going to spend forty years uh, just like kind of showing what's happening around and no throne room scene. Right? That's exact. That's all I want is the throne room. Scene. I was 
I was floored. I was doing some research about like, do I want to dip my dip my toe back into the Horus Heresy books? And I got to the part in the Lexicanum where it was like, also, by the way, the Horus Heresy series is over, and now there's a new series, The Siege of Terra. And I was like, how you can't huh. double dip like that. Oh, like this no. is like somebody needs to go to jail. Because I too <laughs> was was like, man. We're going to get that. We're going to get the battle barge, the throne room, all this stuff. And then it's like, no, we're going to need to we're going to need a whole separate novel series (laughs) to do justice. It's really uh, unfair. Yeah. Uh, So, so, yeah, I was just in short, it's it's probably Dawn of War to Horus Heresy to, um, uh, you know, sprinkling some Space Marine in there to um, the. uh, was it uh, Ravener? The the inc- yeah inc- yeah. So that series, then Gaunt's Ghost, then circle like back into the video games again, and that's my loop, right? And that and that's that's my, and that's I'm not a four K guy, no, 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 of course not. Galt, you had something there a second ago. I think we should at some point explain uh, the throne room scene that we all desperately want to see, but we can. When we get to a heavier lore discussion, yeah. we can explain that. <laughs> yeah, we'll go to that in a second. Uh, so I guess my, my question is, here's the weird thing, though, is I think demographically we are all eligible to become like OG Warhammer people. And I almost did uh, back in the back when I was in high school, like a bunch of my friends got into Warhammer minis uh, and, and the tabletop game. And they were so they were trying to convince me that like they they got they all picked their factions and everything and they're trying to convince me to come in on it and the only thing left they were like there's not too many factions left uh you know but you could be imperial guard and but then i was reading source books and it was like the faction that was left open to me was the faction that's just getting worked in every single source book and i was like what the what the fuck's going like am i just Am I just like the tackling dummy? If I if I join this group, am I just and one of my friends was a tier uh tyranid player. And so lore at that point was basically if you read a tyranid source book, because the tyrans don't have POV characters, the t- entire tyranid source book is basically Imperial Guard people getting brutally eviscerated or like gene devoured by tyranids. And I was like, I don't know if this sounds like fun like that. And and also they were like, hey, but, you know, uh, you know, the Imperial Guard aren't too like, yeah, OK, their their inventory are like the weakest in the game. But their vehicles are incredible. Uh, so you'll, you'd really you'd really dig like playing around with like the the armor units they have and everything. Uh, just one quick thing. Um, also, those models are insanely expensive. Just mm. FYI. And I was like, no, this still sounds kind of cool, though. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like a faction with some real strengths and weaknesses. And uh, and, and they sort of seem like the, you know, the, the grunts of the uh, of the 40K universe. So I could I could go with that. And that lasted as long until uh, as it took me to get to uh, the hobby shop in my town. Uh, Crazy Eddie's uh, it was, was the place back then. And I walk in. And I check out the pricing on the Warhammer fi- figures. And I'm in high school and like working at a grocery store for, I think, I think they gave me a raise to 535 an hour. Um, shout outs to the grocery workers union. And I was like, I can't. Are you kidding me? Like I would work to my first my first army 
would take me like over a week's pay and it would not be a good army. And then none of them are painted. So I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to also learn how to be a fucking artist to like make my army look good. Cause the source books, I'm like, these, these things look incredible. Go into the, the comic shop and everything's like shit. I would have to make it look incredible. I know for a fact I'm not, that's not me. And so that was it. Like that was me and Warhammer. I was like, I'm done. Like this, this is not for me. Like it's too expensive. It's too time expensive uh, in terms of the hobby. And I just wish somebody would make a computer game about it that I could play. But this was like 19, you know, 99, 2001, whatever. And this seems like at the time games workshop, had like developed a real fear of the computer and there was just, there was just nothing. So I ended up, I ended up like completely missing that boat, but ended up like reading a ton of the source books, which I guess sort of predicted what my fandom was going to be. It was like, I can't do this. I can't afford to get into it, but I sure do like these weird little like short stories about dudes getting eaten by dinosaurs. Well, I, I think it's funny to have come up through video games for me, personally and tabletop later in life i also didn't play the the 40k tabletop game but i played the heck out of starcraft which is basically warhammer 40k like beat for beat so you know i played a bunch of uh uh, starcraft and warcraft at the time but again uh, that warhammer 40 what do they call the what what do they call just warhammer is it just warhammer and then there's warhammer 40k is that the dividing line fantasy battle i think is like the full (laughs) Okay. game yeah yeah i'll call it fantasy battle that sounds like a knock against it yeah the <laughs> fantasy battle stuff so i played I play, <laughs> space marines tr- are real yeah that's right <laughs> i'm in trouble already the the warhammer stuff uh and the warcraft stuff everybody said it at the time like this you know and i was like well that warhammer stuff that's that's weird miniature stuff this is video games of course this is different this is the better one uh and it's just weird looking at it now it is it is legally actionable uh, uh, ripoff of Space Marines. I believe there was almost, they almost made, the first Warcraft game was almost a Warhammer game, but I think the licensing didn't quite work out for whatever reason. <laughs> oh my God. That'd be Which is that, hilarious. What a now. wild what if. Yeah, what a wild what if, right? Because, I mean, obviously Warcraft and Starcraft are, are pretty heavily riffing on uh, <laughs> what they were doing, right? But, but in a way, the they were also riffing on um Heinlein and like it's all derivative all the way down right <laughs> well, yeah, so it, yeah it is but it seems like my experience of like discovering Warhammer it was because I, I found it after playing Warcraft and Starcraft it was if you were fighting like a closer to the source more potent version of that fantasy um, and I found it like very, very alluring. When you're um, when you're young, it feels. This is going to be such a st- stupid sentence. It feels more mature than StarCraft and Warcraft in a way. Not now, but back then. Oh yeah, it's like um, you know, there's there's political intrigue and sacrifices, and like you know, there there. I feel like there are so. This also is going to be a ridiculous sentence, so take it out of context. There are layers in the Warhammer 40, uh, 40, uh, Warhammer 40K universe that's like the worst plastic onion to peel. It's like, you know, like a prop onion that you were peeling back where you're like, oh, it's awesome action. Then there's like, is this fascism? And then you're like, 
uh, but the but it's okay, but it's satire, and then you're like, is there it's a, people? It's, it's a very you know, British 2000 AD 1985 kind of satire that maybe mm. hasn't aged. The satire maybe hasn't aged, but the fascism. Do you think any has. of that stuff fully worked? Because talk about like no. talk through that moment a little bit, uh, as far as like what Warhammer's coming out of. Because they they like this is a this is an old defense and up to a point. I I get it. Like uh, Games Workshop recently, you know, released that statement as they were dealing with, uh, you know, sort of a, a a small wave of incidents in their in their competitive community around like fascists and and Nazis, uh, like sort of showing up and, and dominating the space. They, they sort of released a statement that, that got them uh, some, some kudos about, you know, this is, this is satire, et cetera. And on the one hand, like, yes. And is coming from a, a moment where there was a ton of pop culture, like built on heightened dystopian fascist satire, but also that same wave of pop culture. I always feel like, He's kind of also like this shit's pretty metal, right? This stuff's awesome. <laughs> like, I mean, is Judge like? Does anyone not think Judge Dredd is cool? Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem with with fascist satire, right? Like, I think the clearest example of this is Star Wars. But let's let's back up. <laughs> so it's it's 1987 in the UK. The Empire is dead, um, and people have feelings about it. So the I, I kind of identify like all the groups of counterculture adjacent nerds that were writing in the UK at the time kind of create this world of fascist satire of which 40K is a part, of which 2000 AD, where Judge Dredd comes from, is a part. Uh, I think like Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman are all kind of working in this in this scene. Um, and the stuff is, it's very like heightened and wacky and so ridiculous and so hyper-violent that it's, very easy to see that it's supposed to be silly. It's supposed to be satire. And like, I think very early iterations of 40 K, which I think was published in 1987 was the first, uh, was the first book. If I remember correctly, um, it's all a little gross and silly and obviously kind of juvenile and over the top. Um, and you know, we're in this place where like the, this old empire is crumbling and I feel like this is a weird way that they're kind of dealing with it. But as things evolve and as the lore gets baked in and as things get more serious, the space Marines, which are like these icons of fascism. I mean, the, the simper, the, the, the symbol of the empire, right. Is, is a Reichsiegel. Like it's pretty on the nose. Um, no arguments about what, what they are. They become the heroes of these stories. They become much cooler you know, when we're reading the Horus Heresy books, we're rooting for a certain uh, way of life in these space marines, you know. Uh, the good guys are explicitly on a genocidal crusade. Yeah, that's like, the thing the is thing like... The thing the Horus Heresy brings to an end is a genocidal crusade. It's like, maybe Horus was right uh, in some ways. Like, maybe he had some bad information, some bad stuff whispering in his ear, but like, sure does seem like maybe the Emperor did lie and that, uh, you know wiping out all intelligent life that's not human is maybe not a good look. Uh, but anyway, and the, we fall into this trap, I think, with this stuff. And there's a reason that they have to put out statements saying that it's satire because people who are into fascism see this stuff and think it's really cool. And I think we see the same phenomenon in Star Wars, right, where very clearly the Empire are the bad guys, but they have the coolest uniforms, the best music, 
and the most intriguing characters. Darth Vader is interesting. He looks cool. Stormtroopers, like all like all lined up, and you're using the Lenny Riefenstahl Riefenstahl lens to like film them. Like that stuff works and makes them interesting and attractive. And so whenever you're whenever you you are doing fascism satire, it's so easy to fall into this hole where you end up exalting the 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 people at the center of the story that are fascist. And it's like you can do all these arguments to say like, well, it's 40,000 years into the future. It's so removed from our time. But I mean, yes, but the people that are writing the stories are here and now. Right. And the people that are engaging with the stories are here and now. And it's but, always going to be reflective of the society in which it bubbles up in. But, but hey, we're, we're we're safe down here. Right. We're, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I we mean, know, we're, we know it's fast. Like, I'm not going to stop. It's it's ironic fascism when we do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, I'm not going to stop engaging with this stuff. Um, but it is something that I think about and that plays with me. And I mean, this gets into my whole theory about like why I've become interested in it lately. But I want to I want to back up like, real quick and tell my Warhammer 40k story because I think it's important to uh, put. I think 40k has come a long way within the nerd community in the last 20, 30 years. I think Warhammer in general has because I think that there were maybe it's less so now, but there used to be like a hierarchy of nerddom. You know, he's saying that like we we look down on Warhammer fantasy and, you know, like that's really what it was like when I was a kid. Like I played Magic the Gathering, but, you know, at least I didn't play Warhammer. <laughs> and I remember the first time. Well, and, I, and to be clear, you're you're a gentleman of Texas. Yes. Correct? Yes. Uh, and, so, and so like the place where a lot of nerd culture gets like super sized and Texas sized in, in a lot of ways, like Texas is ground zero for a ton of guidums. Yes. Uh, so the, my first experience with Warhammer was I was going to, uh, the comic shop, not the comic shop, the hobby shop, because we had enough space to create separate stores for things. Um, massive grocery, grocery store style, uh, things just full of miniatures. See, mine was a storefront about the size of my living room to Mm -hmm. like, to give you like the different nerd context was like, it was a place the size of my living room and dining room. And like, Half of that was devoted to a small like uh, land center. Um, Man, that was a that was place was grody. I loved it. This was literally a place that was uh, a hollowed out grocery store. Literally, like that's that was the size of it. Um, But anyway, so I go into the store one day. I'm going to get my magic cards. I'm excited. Uh, And it's Hell's Front Porch Day in Texas. It's August. Got to be a hundred degrees, and all of the doors and windows are open at the, at the place and like walk in and I'm like, what's going on? Like, it's so hot in here. Why are all the doors and windows open? And the guy running the place just looks at me and he's like, Warhammer tournament. And then the smell hit me, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, I don't know anybody that's probably been to like a gaming convention knows the smell I'm talking about. This is less so now, I think. Yeah. Yes, I do know wherever you speak. Uh, And that was like, that was so instantly in my head, like I associated Warhammer with like those, those guys that didn't bathe and like were really into their hobby. And you know, the, uh, the dude walking around the magic, the gathering tournament, taking the pictures of the butt cracks where he's praying bent over like those, that kind of group of gaming. Um, And then I, I got another bad taste in my mouth for it. Uh, another summer, years later, as an adult, I was living with uh, two other guys 
And they decided, them and a group of their friends are like, all right, we're going to find a miniature game. We're going to paint miniatures. We're going to play one of these things. And But they're smart. And they're like, all right, but what we're going to do is we're going to play test all of them to figure out which one's actually fun. So they got a bunch of proxies. And they sat down and over the course of several months, like played basically everything. I watched them play like Warhammer Fantasy, Age of Sigmar, 40K, Mordheim, uh, Necromunda, like everything. And the conclusion they came to was all these games uh, suck and are not fun to play. (laughs) And they ended up going with uh, War Machine, which is not (laughs) which is not a Games Workshop game and is apparently way more fun to play. Um, and between those two experiences, I was like, I can't, I'm never going to play any of these tabletops. I'll stick to Dawn of War and then later Total War. <laughs> I have heard this critique, by the way, is that for all their outsized popularity, these are not the most dynamic tabletop games there are. Um, people I know who are like into miniatures wargaming are like, it's not even a good gateway drug because it actually kind of turns you off it a little bit. But like there's there's like great miniatures rule sets out there. By all accounts, like 40K is not regarded as one of them. Uh, and I did like I used to hang out with some friends who who played played it pretty regularly. And it did seem an awful lot like we're taking these piles of models and smushing them towards each other. And then we're seeing whose hard counters like win out. Um, and that was that was kind of it. So I watched them like roll dice and it was like, yeah, it was like uh, kind of risk like in terms of like making the models disappear and go off onto the sideboard and all that. But like it wasn't it was not like in the source books. Ah, the flanking attacks, the maneuvers, the cut and thrust of a Warhammer match. And when I would see it played, it was an awful lot of like. And then these guys smack into each other and these guys smack into each other. And that's that's the game. Yeah, I have a, a similar, slightly more embarrassing origin story. Um, so I grew up in Israel and there's like a very small nerd community and there's no advertising for this kind of stuff. So it's like you're not exposed to it at all. I wasn't exposed to it at all until it was uh, the fifth grade and my dad was on assignment in New York. So we were in New York and Scarsdale for the year. And I don't remember the class or the assignment, but we had an assignment where we were going to make like a collage in class. So everybody brought in magazines. Everybody was just like, go home, pick up all your magazines, bring them into class and make some sort of collage. I don't remember why, but somebody brought in the 1997 or 1996 catalog of 40K miniatures. And that's the first time I've seen Warhammer at all in any in any way. And I remember immediately being obsessed with the magazine. I was just like, I didn't know what it was. It's like I slowly deduced that it was some sort of game. Um, I thought that some of the miniatures were made of silver and some were painted. I didn't understand that it's like you buy them plain and then you paint them. And obviously in the catalog, there's these beautiful set pieces with like, all the soldiers painted and like these landscapes that are like beautifully made to look like a war zone and all that. And I was just like, my imagination was captured to the point where I was like, I'm stealing this magazine. Like I'm stealing this catalog and I'm taking it home. Like I just put it in my backpack and took it home and I would like obsess over it. Like it was pornography or something. Um, So my dad's assignment in New York ends. We go back to Israel 
And like my obsession level, I don't know if you had this phase where it's like you cut out stuff from magazines and put it on your dresser or your wall, like whether it's bands or something or I don't know, video game magazines. But I did that with the miniatures. I just had them all over my wall. And a friend, a friend came over and he saw it and he was similarly obsessed. He was like, what is this? Like, what is this world with all these space marines and monsters and all that? And then he actually looked into it and he was like, oh, this is like a, a thing I can buy and play. And he was also into World War II model planes. Like he made those and painted those. So he was like, oh, I already do this. I'm going to do this with this way cooler thing. And then we can play it. So he bought like enough pieces for both of us to play. And now it's like my dream was finally coming true. I was going to like play with these awesome looking miniatures. And then the rulers come out and I'm like, I'm out. It's just like, I'm not rolling dice. I'm not, it's like, this is not fun. It's just like what I wanted is for these beautiful miniatures to come to life and have these awesome battles. And that's like not what the tabletop game is really. It doesn't feel that way. But then um, we learned about, we were, we, we both played Homeworld and we were big fans of Homeworld. So we knew that. Oh, Relic, what perfect timing for you. Oh, yeah. Man. So, so Relic, we learned that Relic was making, the studio that made Homeworld was making a Warhammer game. And we were like, oh my God, so perfect. Exactly what we needed. Um, and it was actually the first and maybe the only time where like we called the local game store in the next town over and we were like, when is this game coming in? And like we went over there and we waited for the shipment to come in and we like bought it and went home and played it. And it like actually met our expectations. I feel like to bring it up to Dawn of War, I think that's the reason that game hit and the reason it's so important to like the brand and like, I don't know, video games in general in a way. is like I think that's the first time where those glamour shots from the miniature magazine like actually came to life. Like that is the actual fantasy. Like that's the actual game. Because when you read, like you said, Rob, when you read the rule book, it sounds so dynamic and fun. And, and, and I don't think that actually happened until Dawn of War came out. Yeah, I think for me, Dawn of War was, I mean, it's kind of a sea change for me. I think it's the first RTS I'd seen that was like that. Um, but they did a lot of smart things. Like they had the army painter in there. You know, what's your what's your space marine chapter look like? Um, so you, you know, put your little symbol on their shields and, you know, trim their, trim their vehicles and armor out, uh, just, just the way you want. But I also feel, I also feel like it's, it's a, it's a weird thing because I'm, I'm with you that in a lot of ways it was delivering on a lot of what was appealing about Warhammer. But the other, but the other weird part of it is it sort of broke a long dry spell, I think for like 40 K games. Like, and I had looked and there just wasn't much. There'd been some, uh, fantasy games back in like earlier eras of PC gamer, uh, PC gaming, uh, shadow of the horned rat comes to mind. Um, but I feel like games workshop, I feel like always had kind of a weird, suspicious relationship with PC gaming. Like, Games Workshop, I feel like just generally has always, was for a long time a company that dreaded the possibility that like if anything ever supplanted the models in people's hearts, they were done. That was just that was just mm. game over. And so they they kind of it seems like they they spent a good like decade or so trying to have like make a monopoly on Warhammer action be the tabletop game. 
and then with with this exclusive license i think i think the license was exclusive with with relic at the moment or at least it was an unusual experiment the thq i believe at the time it was exclusive to thq which yeah since the thing to relic yeah but they had they they gave this thing a try and it seems like it worked out well for all concerned to the point where you know some years later games workshop now no longer does exclusive deals with publishers and it like instead adopted kind of a let a thousand flowers bloom uh model of of warhammer which has worked out variably they are they've been chasing that dawn of war high for uh you know for two decades now almost of like just gotta get that i can't i can't relive that we gotta get that dawn of war high and it's like nothing hits just as as hard as that original dawn of war and dawn of war 2 total war it's it's fantasy but i would say total war does Mm. i I like i i think it i think it has in terms of like like just raw sales uh, Mm -hmm. that that series has been has been huge um but i'm i'm with you and and i think to that point i also kind of feel like because I spent a lot of this weekend playing a bunch of Warhammer shit, like thinking about like, you know, what like what am I into here? What do I, what do I think of these games? And we're not like chasing that Dawn of War high. Uh maybe this is unfair because this is a this is just a ton of Warhammer stories, but there sure is an awful lot of we're part of the human empire and uh oh we got a small problem in this sector better go deal with it seems like some pretty menacing aliens or something is is going on here oh no there's a galaxy like defining threat it's chaos Uh, or the tyranids or something and like everybody get ready this is why we do the fascism so we can fight the bigger thing that we're all Mm. up against and like every game is just like and dawn of war one it hit i was like there's chaos on this planet Right. Dawn of War is like, we got to fight these orcs. And I'm like, yeah, these orcs seem like they're bad news. And then they reveal the chaos cultists. And I'm like, holy shit. Chaos is on this planet? The original <laughs> traitors who, who turned against the emperor? And then you, and then your psycho buddy, the librarian of the Dawn of War campaign, is like, he's been, he's been your bro. And I'm like, hope nothing happens to that guy. And he's like, I'm going to contemplate chaos in the void. And I was like, you go for it. Oh no! <laughs> He's been tainted <laughs> by it, and like, and then it turns out I was like, I was like, this story is amazing. What an amazing campaign Dawn of War has! And now I'm just like, they just keep remaking it. Yeah, well, right. And there's like, they're always. I feel like there's that added thread into where sometimes they'll throw the Eldar in as the ones who really know what's going on, and the, the humans are just kind of. Oh, corruptible and meddling around and the Eldar just like, I'm here to exterminate, like Terminator style. We're here to just exterminate everybody. Uh, And, you know, the right. The humans always have their frailty of being able to be corrupted and who's going to be corrupted. But do you have to take do you have to touch the taint to fight the taint? Do you have do you have to know your enemy? Do you have to bring it in? Are you you know, it's it really is. And then you have to bury the dagger somewhere. Right. The demon awakens. Some some monster crawls out of the warp. Uh, it you almost had it. Monster crawls out of the war. Big end of campaign thing. Day is saved, except in this other sector where the same exact thing is happening with some same exact uh, uh, you know universe ending monster who is about to be resurrect. Old god that's about to be resurrected there too. I think it just dawned on me that this is where my inherited Catholicism has gone. 
<laughs> is like, oh, I love the passion play. This is the part. <laughs> this is the part when your when your favorite servant touches the touches the void to better resist it and understand it, and then gives in temptation, and we we all learn a thing about morality. That's right. Uh, like it's this just again and again. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but. It's it's tried and true, but but I think it gets to, gets us to something else too, which is we're talking about like the whole is this kind of fascist. <laughs> but I think one thing that kind of mutes the satire is that because the humans are always the easiest point of entry through this, like literally, like I think you know we, when we read, um, we've all read some of the Ravener books, mm-hmm. like a ton of that unfolds like crime novels, right? Where it's like Ravener and his crew are hanging out in industrial towns in the imperium and shit and so it's like yeah this is recognizable like this is yep it's humans doing human stuff etc but warhammer stories like go into the universe always like through the imperium basically wait did you mean eisenhorn because the raveners are tyranid characters right no no no, uh, no, 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 no. there's the um Yes, the Eisenhorn. What's the omnibus called? Is is it's like? Um, oh, maybe it is called the Raveners. Yeah, where it's the. But yeah, I'm reading the first one of those right now. The so like Eisenhorn the, has his buddy Ravener. It, is, right? that his, is that his name? I Ravener's his, the Inquisitor buddy, who ends the, up in the in the little the sarcophagus. dark ones. Uh, I don't think I don't I don't I don't know. I'm <laughs> with right now. Right now, it's it's or there's Pontius Glaw, which is the the, the like thing in the sarcophagus that he's talking to. But it's no, no, no. Gideon, Gideon Ravener. Gideon yeah. Ravener? Okay, then I don't... Dude, have you not read the Ravener book? Okay, so you know Eisenhorn, right? Yes, I'm reading the first Eisenhorn book right now, which wow. I like. Wow. Just <laughs> wait until you meet Eisenhorn's bro, Gideon, Gideon Ravener, Ravener. Okay. Who's a powerful psycher, psycher buddy. Okay. Uh, who's like, hope nothing happens to this guy who's defined by his physical prowess and good looks. Uh, <laughs> and... But anyway, so like, but get the the Ravener books turn into 40K A team, right? Where he's like on the case of like, what's chaos up to in the Imperium? The only people who can help me deal with it is the deadliest woman in the galaxy, an acrobat <laughs> slash contortionist slash marswoman. And also uh, here is a master of heavy weapons. And that's that's Ravener's whole crew <laughs> is like hacker kid. Yeah. But you go you go into Imperial, you go into the 40k stuff a lot of times through like the human perspective. And so when especially when you play these games, it's like, well, okay, like <laughs> fascist satire. Boy, this place seems like a this Inquisition seems like they're up to no good. The Space Marines seem uh, you know, pretty you know, you see their little their little aphorisms. Uh they seem pretty creepy. But then in the world of those stories they're always kind of right about what they're up against. Like the, the, the whole, like, yeah, they're fascist, but like the tyrant is just going to eat everybody. <laughs> I guess if I got to choose between like standing in a line with the, the space Marines or, or, or like watching the tyrant is just eat everybody. I guess it's the space Marines. And so there's always kind of a weird, like I- inherent in these stories, there's kind of a self-justifying element for the Imperium, which is that like, it is a corrupt, always declining, government uh like run by basically a metaphor for empire <laughs> uh and and yet in the stories you're like well sorry you just got a cowboy up 
and go purge some heretics because they're coming for you. And that's always kind of a weird thing, too, where like the setting allows for different kind of stories. But you're always most of the time hanging out with the Space Marines and Imperial Guard. That's one of the that's one of the things I really liked about as I just read the first three books of the Horus Heresy. Um, and there's 55 books, I think, in that whole thing. I got to the end of the third book. Damn and I was it. like, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read wikis for the rest of you didn't like the third book where it was like you want to you want to see how a virus bomb affects every named character you've met so far (laughs) i like to be i've been getting liquefied by the virus bomb for like a hundred pages i i enjoyed the third book i had a good time but it was also very obvious to me that this was the backdoor pilot for the rest of the Horus Heresy books. Mm-hmm. I was like, rather than chase Dan all these... writing most of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, rather than chase down all those threads, I just pulled up the wiki pages for all of the characters I was interested in and just read. It was like, okay, that's what happens to them. I'm happy with that. I don't need to go hunt down the specific book where this one scene happens that I want to read. Um, I forgot what I was going to... I forgot my original point now. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, it's just like how it always locates you with the fascists. Oh, yeah, yeah, like- yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I enjoy about Eisenhorn and the original Horus Heresy books is like, yeah, there's a lot of Space Marine stuff in Horus Heresy. But those first three books, there's also a lot of stuff with like their quote unquote clergy and the rem- remembrancers and like all of mm-hmm. the things that make Empire run that are not immediately the military. Um, and Eisenhorn also gives you a big window into that stuff too. And there was a passage in Eisenhorn in this first book I thought was really interesting, um, where he makes note that like most people in the Imperium live on worlds where all of this stuff never touches them. They send their sons off to war into the Imperial Guard, and maybe like one guy comes back that survives that has a story that no one believes. And that's kind of it. Like most people, like chaos and chaos marines and Horus himself and all this stuff are just myths and legends and things that happen at the periphery of empire that you know never gets to them and that's that's the stuff that i would like to read more of i'm sure there's probably more there's you know there's like what 900 books or something just (laughs) just incredible i'm sure there's something out there that would that would sate my interest in all of that stuff but uh the black library could not fit in the library of alexandria (laughs) right uh regrettably and that's like, I think that's an interesting aspect of this too, is like this weird, cause I'm kind of becoming a 40 K lore head is kind of like, I'm watch I'm going to sleep watching like Luton videos. Who's like a YouTuber that just does 90 minute deep dives into, into things. Um, like there's so many books and so much source material that you can, you know, dip yourself into this mythology and never get straight answers to anything. And, Somebody says something over here that contradicts something that somebody wrote 10 years ago and maybe it's true, maybe it's not. And I I don't know. I think that's an interesting way to approach this weird collective world building the Games Workshop has done almost by accident where you have all of these dozens of different authors that have been writing over the course of 50 years or whatever it is. Um, I think that's fascinating. And it, 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 it also the other thing that it does is it makes it hard to keep a coherent narrative where like fascism is sat is is bad and is obviously being satirized like that stuff gets abandoned i think a lot and that's one of the the things that i thought was really interesting reading the horus heresy for the first time because it's set in 30k it's ten thousand years before and the world that's presented there is very very different 
than the world that is presented in 40k. Like, yes, also not good. They're going on a genocidal crusade throughout the galaxy, but they're also like, uh, I would almost call them like fundamental secular humanists, <laughs> like anti-religious in some, in some right. interesting ways. And it's just, it was it just like, you read that and I'm like, maybe this wouldn't be too bad to live in. <laughs> like if this was, if this, maybe this wouldn't be the worst, you know, if you're, a, if, the, if the emperor got, just got to complete that crusade, <laughs> we'd all be like, if it'd be the golden know? times. Yeah. It's, I, I think that, I think you're totally right. I think that's why the Horus heresy is so interesting because you, by the time you're in 40k, it is just basically, you know, inquisitors looking for somebody who has a whiff of somebody cheating on their taxes and they destroy a world, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, chaos is here. And it's like, all right, nuke it, you know? And it's, and that's kind of, I feel like where a lot of the dilemma comes in of like, whoa, 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 let me investigate a little bit more and like fighting against the empire and be like, we have ships ready you told me that guy jay walked and they're like they're ready to go whereas i feel like in in uh, the horus heresy you're like how did we get here uh and you have a little more humanizing of the space marines you have a little bit more of like you know we we believe in this mission uh we're out here trying to you know spread humanity throughout the galaxy and you know destroy the native religions that are over here but you know it's because you know uh, uh we believe in the golden emperor we we, we believe in this mission and then he, he takes like a he's like you guys are good i'm going back to earth he goes I to got complete his stuff. work on the astronomicon right that's the <laughs> that's his big like hey we yeah. got the ball on the 20 yeah right i'm just gonna let my boy horace <laughs> punch yeah. it in right you got this i have to go consider the void and build a big lighthouse like huge <laughs> yeah yeah see on the other side you guys got this one my clo my genetic my gene seeds or my, my clones or whatever you guys got this how could it go wrong you're basically me but my phone will be off just fyi <laughs> and I, I hope none of the weird stuff that happened when you were abducted in your formative years uh, <laughs> as my Primarchs and, and taken by chaos to a bunch of weird places. I hope none of that comes back on us somehow. Oh, man, that whole that whole turn, while I enjoyed reading it, every time I think back to it, the fall of Horus is like <laughs> makes me angry inside the, the, the whole thing, the whole like weird, um, almost like. Uh, uh, a Disney afternoon special twist that happens of like, hey man, don't just do. I'm cool, and just you're reading and be like, he's not cool. Don't like, don't go with this guy. I forget who the priest is or whatever. But just like, this oh, guy yeah, is no, bad. He goes to obviously cursed planet. <laughs> it's like the most cursed planet ever. Like yeah. so. Okay, so here's the here's the thing. If you've not read the Horace Heresy books, I do endorse like the start of it because it is like. So I guess you want. Know Quick ad break. We'll take a minute and then we're going to talk about what we talk about when we talk about the Horace Heresy. Back after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, I guess we're really talking about the horse heresy. We need to talk about this battle bars that we're all dying to see. Because, like, there's a moment, because I know about this, too. Like, I didn't know much, like, the horse heresy was kind of something that you knew existed, but really, like, the, the defining moment of it that we all know about is, like, there's this culminating clash between the emperor and his greatest warrior and, like, the original traitor of of the space marines the war master horus and like why is the emperor on a golden throne why is he a living corpse uh a a psychic mind entombed within a rotting body it's because there's this whole throwdown between uh the emperor and like the devil the devil incarnate uh and What's it's kind of weird to think about how long Games Workshop left that as a piece of backstory that they didn't fill in. If you look at how like the arc of it now, where they are basically just like quarrying their their setting, their lore uh, through the Black Library and stuff, it's so weird that for a long time, like the precursors to Forty K, you just knew some like broad beats, but you never nothing beyond that it was like it, it, there's sort of like uh almost mimetic is the, is the way i would put it um you know uh well let me i think i can explain this actually yeah. um in the the way that all of this becomes formalized and, and why we are where we are now all right so we have to remember that games workshop started out as citadel which was a company that was and this is why they clung to miniatures for so long i think they were selling D&D people miniatures. That's the or that's how the company starts. So they come up with they're like okay, D&D people don't always buy miniatures. Some people play without them. So we need to come up with some games. But they have a logistical chain that generates miniatures. They have a logistical chain. So this chain is like this generate- is like Avalon Hill coming out of a printer com- a printing company and making exactly. like Ameritrash war games. That's like why is it all cardboard and like yep. endless tables? Correct. Exactly. Okay. So they 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 put together Warhammer Fantasy, um, and it's uh, it does okay, and it's you know it's again it's that nineteen it's nineteen eighty seven, it's that weird like two thousand AD is really popular. All that stuff's in the air, and they're like, all right, well we need like a more, uh, forty. We need a more futuristic sci fi version of this, and this is also at the time the original fantasy had suggestions in it that. There was a precursor like spacefaring society and like you would get weird like technological artifacts within it. And they is kind this of take, that, that whole thing of like the fantasy world is one lost world within the 40k yes. universe thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they it kind of extrapolate some of that stuff and pull out some of the threads and like turn it into 40k um, and they start selling that it starts doing well. 
And they were always a miniature, they were always about selling those miniatures because like you said, that was where the company started. And I think somewhere around Dawn of War, they start realizing like how well they can do with licensing this stuff out and kind of expanding in that way. Um, which is when you you get so like when does the first horse heresy book come out? Because it's like it's 2012. It's shockingly recent, I believe, that they actually start formalizing this stuff. Because basically they get a group of writers together that include Dan Abnett and a bunch of others, and they get into a room and they the the games workshop people walk in with a big stack of like, all right, here's every copy of White Dwarf and every bit of fluff that was you know written in the marginalia of our rule books for the past 30 years, like you guys turn it into a coherent narrative. And that's why things feel so weird and piecemeal sometimes is you have like things that were dreamed up by some guy in 1994 <laughs> and just written in, in white dwarf or just written in the sides of one of these, like the fluff area of one of these supplements that people, they weren't really interested in. And so you, then you, you have better writers that come along 20 years later and are kind of trying to put this stuff together into some, some kind of, cohesive narrative. And I think that's why some of this feels so weird and so structured so strangely. So anyway, the battle barge. <laughs> well, and I guess that's the, so like, you know, there, there's, there's beats like that that exist in 40 K. We know about that. We know about like the origin story for the emperor's current condition and the whole structure of the empire is justified by the fact that it's being led by this living living corpse. Uh, and he's a living corpse because he was the most powerful psyker ever, and then he was betrayed, and now we live in sort of the fallen and failing uh, like remnants of this of this great empire. But horse the horse heresy starts, and it's like well, now you're going to find out what that whole thing was about. Like, we're, like where'd the emperor come from? There's little things you knew. There's there's the fact that, like, the chaos marines in Warhammer, obviously, are, like, the the bad, the, the, the worse versions of the space marines. Uh, where did they come from? Well, they all turned traitor during the Great Heresy. And so, yeah, Horus Heresy is, like, this uh, trove of, time to start telling you all these things that you could only imagine. And they let off with, with Dan Abnett and like right from the first that they, they are playing kind of an interesting game with the, the Horace heresy books where on the one hand, like huge genocidal crusade, like the, the, the emperor has shown up and he's like time to bring humanity to its uh, ultimate fulfillment, a universe spanning empire, uh, but to secure that, we have to wipe out all elements of possible chaos and corruption, i.e. other people and their religions. Um, also heavily reliant on slavery, but we're not really going to address it. And, Lobotomized robot <clears throat> slaves everywhere. Yeah. Servitors. You, you've seen them. Little skull. Little, little, <laughs> like The skull guys are a different thing. Uh, but yeah, little, little robot uh, people that are... You know, little little helpers and, and droids. Yeah, those are those were people. Anyway, uh, but but yeah, the, the the one of the things that, and I guess this is kind of one of the projects that is also undergoing uh, happening with the Horace Heresy is like it's kind of like new school Warhammer in some ways. Is Dan Abnett is like starting to weave some liberalism into the forty k setting. Where I, ju it's, I just sorry, yeah. I just read the the first book so far. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know the specifics of the turn, 
But at least now he's playing with it in a really interesting way where it seems like the origin of the heresy is imagining a different path for the empire, which is not absolute fascism. So it's like Horus or some space marine chapter finds this planet they call murder because it's just filled with bugs. They're not calling them Tyranids yet, but they sound like Tyranids. Um, And it's like the planet is filled with them. And they're like, okay, we have to obviously kill all of them. So they start this huge battle, and it lasts like a year. It's like a year of glorious war, and they're dying and killing, and they're loving it, you know? And then uh, <laughs> this other civilization shows up uh, that was human, is human, but has disconnected from the empire for thousands of years. Uh, one of these settlements that, you know, the, the crusade is trying to bring back into the fold. And they show up while this war is going on, and they're like, um, did you not see the signs we put up that said, like, crazy bug planet, do not enter? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, you don't have to do this. Just, like, leave the bugs alone. Let them have the planet. We worked out, like, a containment deal here. And uh, let's just chill. Like, we don't have to kill them all. Can um, I shout out a, a, a weird part of that of that alien, alien human race I think is really fascinating? Is yeah, they yeah. use uh, They use music. Mm-hmm. as a universal communicator. So like everything that they do, they have like a soundtrack kind of behind them because they figured out a long time ago that like the there's a mathematical basis for all music and we can use that to do a very basic level of communication with pretty much everything that we with that we encounter. I thought that was fascinating. Just a weird yeah. little nice detail. It's like a harmony that clarifies whatever language you're listening to. A lot of cool high sci-fi concepts in that book. Um, but anyway, these, this other civilization shows up and, and, and Horace is like, oh, maybe there's like a point to this. Maybe, maybe I don't have to like absolutely destroy every living thing that is not human and compliant with the emperor's will. And that, that seems to be where, and he, and that's him diverging from the dogma. And that, that's where it seems to be undermining the, like the intentions of the empire in an interesting way. And I don't know how, I don't know. Well, if it becomes less interesting, but at least that was, I thought pretty good. No, I mean, it's, it's interesting because that is like one of the things where you see Horace at his best, which is that he has this bent toward like, do we have to wipe out all the interesting things in the universe to like bring the empire into fulfillment? Like there, maybe there's a better way. And our way into this setting is through, uh, one of his buddies, uh, Loken, who is like the first Sergeant of the entire, like, legion that serves under Horus and he gets elevated to like command staff and he's like he is now the liberal in a gang of like diehard fascists <laughs> and like he shows up and so you got Horus like entertaining these things but Loken's the guy who's actually like oh wow so like you guys are a lot like the human empire but like you just totally this discon- no emperor huh no god emperor you, you never heard of him yeah a whole different but like things pretty good I don't know you guys seem all right and wait, you guys made friends with aliens instead of killing them? Wow! Yeah, that's that's wild, man. Like uh, we just we just kill them. Like we we fought on Olinor for like a century, and it ruled. The emperor was there with us, <laughs> all the primarchs. Then we paraded for like two weeks, and then the emperor left. But so Loken's there, being like, maybe we can slow this roll a little bit. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? We're just, we're, we're here to, we're here to kill everyone. That's the way it goes. But no, book two is where the, the fall actually happens. They go to this greasy fucking like hellhole planet 
And, and there's like the most like Bella Lugosi fucking shows up basically, uh, or like Peter Lorre slash Bella Lugosi shows up and is like, oh, Warmaster Horace, I see. We've been told you were coming. <laughs> There's a spaceship back there. It's real evil, but you have to go in alone. And he's like, yeah, I do. I got this. And so it's, and yeah, it's the, it's the most like, what are you doing? Don't do it. Yeah. Space Marines, they got no sense of deceit. No, they're too, their dad, their dad was too pure. <laughs> well, and and Horace, here's the other part: is all the Primarchs is just the biggest fucking chads, like in the like they are the most head empty shitheads. It's so funny that the hierarchy is literally size. Like a space marine <laughs> is like double the size of a human, and then a Primarch is double the size of a of a, of a space marine, and the emperor is just like thirty feet tall. <laughs> yeah. It's so dumb. Did you know that the supposedly the emperor has been around? Or like thousands of years before 40k, like like ten, he's been around basically the entire time humans have been around. Right. This is the part where he's like always been a spiritual guide. Yeah. And like he sort of comes back and basically like the the <laughs> conceit is like all the prophets are the emperor. Yeah. Like yeah. Maybe Jesus. Maybe. Yeah. And Truman and President Truman. That was yeah. also <laughs> that was also the emperor. Yeah. He's always been guiding us to this to this place before he manifested himself. It's it's like a weird um, it's like a, that moment in the Matrix where they like explain that like we've tried like 80, 80 other matrices and nobody ever believed it. Where it's like you know you have this. I feel like I get a lot of this lore through the wikis and stuff, but you know this this sense of like I tried a bunch of times. I tried the religious. Th- I tried it all. They worship me. It all goes wrong. So you get to this point where like atheism we're just going out there it's science and dogma i've seen it before just trust me go out there tell them no more whatever they're worshiping a cactus no they you, you nuke them and uh there's no more and that's it that to me was maybe the most interesting thing about going into 30k because you read 40k stuff and it is it is so ridiculous of people rubbing blood on machines to make them work. You know, this, you know, the machine cult and they're like the a priest who's like has to get the old technology working by praying to it. And the setup is no science We we are a scientific spacefaring species. And you're like, what happened? But and also, but hold the, on. And the emperor, in fact, chastised one of the Primarchs for trying to worship him as a god. But then he kind of lets it happen, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's the there's the conspiracy theory that all of this was part of his plan and that chaos is probably right. And that he and the emperor always wanted to be a god, but he knew he had to do all this stuff to get people there. There's but there is the element of he's like radical atheism, like pure like beings of pure reason. And all the Primarchs are like, but we can still worship you, right, Space Dad? (laughs) And he was like, you can honor me, but I am no god. And they're like, functionally, that's the same thing. We're just going to honor you a lot with rituals and shit. Uh, Here, take your little oath of moment uh, before this this mission. Oh, I Um, love those. Yeah. Oh yeah, so yeah, the the whole like little like waxed uh sticker things that they oh it's great. Uh but 
the 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 thing about like the the contradictions that are inherent to it is that like on the one hand it's like yes pure reason all that all that stuff but at the same time it's kind of like reminiscent of um I don't know, like those experiments you find in like revolutionary France where it's like we're going to worship reason and create like neo-Catholic rituals <laughs> or neo and, and neo-pagan rituals around ideas of reason. And that's basically where the emperor ends up, where he's like tons of rituals, tons of uh, tons of this shit, but all, you know, it's not religion. Perish <laughs> the thought. Uh, but yeah, and, and then we get, yeah, Horus ends up getting got because he goes into the spaceship alone. And he's like, I can handle anything here. Um, and I guess the, the thing he can't handle is a dude with a knife. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, to be fair, <laughs> it was a very special knife. Uh, oh, man, what a, what a, one, what a. One might like, say a cursed blade. <laughs> and then he gets he gets he gets cut and he's like oh i don't feel so good i better should and go to the doctor <laughs> and then the priests come out bell lugosi peter laurie priest they'll come out like oh no <laughs> looks like your war master is sick <laughs> You gotta take him inside this temple yeah. for a week. You can't see what we do. Uh, you got a boo boo. <laughs> but we <laughs> promise he'll come back good as new. Maybe better. Could be different than you remember. And all the other space marines are like, "Yeah, what have you got to do, Doc? Sure." And uh, not a doctor. No, don't care. Go do the rituals. <laughs> so he basically like medically dead Horus is carried off into this fucked up priest slayer, and everyone. It's like I hope he gets better. <laughs> so so like it's such for the turn of all the universe. It is such a weird like, and, and at the same time, it's like of course this is how it happens. It's not some like glorious fall. It is like he nicked himself shaving, and like you know all we had was you know a chaos guy there being like, I'll take him off your hands. And I'm like all right. And and that's it. And that is and that is ten thousand years of the grim darkness. You know, it is it is like that is, and and so I think for me that's why I was like, all right, let's get to the battle barge. Let, I got it. We're good. Uh, yada yada yada. Chaos. Like I wanted to see some more corruption, and that happens. You get some of that. But oh, by the time so much corruption. And by the time we get to the people exploding into pustules and you know like turning inside out, I'm like, get to the throne room. I need to see what's going on here. Let's go. The thing, the two things that broke me. So I made it four and a half books in. <laughs> That's about where I was. Yeah. And like to do things that got me was I read Fulgrim, mm -hmm. which is about the Fabio uh, Primarch, uh, who's all just like flowing locks <laughs> and uh, like basically just a hot himbo, <laughs> but also super into art. Uh, just the just also huge aesthetic. And so in between genociding planets, he's like, and now some avant-garde portraiture. <laughs> and so his spaceship is all full of the artists and shit. And that entire book is like, literally, it's what if art, but too much. That's the, the entire book is like 300 pages of like watching people get corrupted by Slanesh. I'm real glad uh, I skipped this one. Dude, it's like... The 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 painter lady is like, I need to 
none of these cu- none of these paints are good enough. They're not vital enough. What I need is bodily fluids. <laughs> and uh, the Space Marines are like, oh, my God, have you ever heard music? This is amazing. <laughs> and they, like, lose their minds during a concert and, like, start, w- like, shredding on electric guitars. This is the origin of the Noise Marines. The the Warhammer, Warhammer 40K has Noise Marines who just, like, shred on, like, uh, guitars and, like, people die. And that happens in this book where they're like, Oh my god, we're space marines. We never like experienced sort of like joy and like emotional reaction to art. And the the first taste of it, the first taste of it, they're just like, what if God could play a sweet guitar lick so <laughs> that went so hard it caused people's heads to explode? <laughs> and so that's that's that whole book. And you're like, are we going to do one of these for every single fucking Primark? And the answer is yes. The answer is there are, what, 20 Space Marine Legions? We are going to meet every single Primark and see how they all reacted to the Temptations of Chaos. And then, like, the book around the same time is um, Flight of the Eisenstein. Is that it? And this is the part that was the gut punch. Book three is the whole like the turn. He like the the betrayal is on. The loyalist space marines are purged, and one ship gets away to sound the warning. And I was like, cool, they're gonna sound the warning. We'll get to that battle barge, right? <laughs> and the book about the people running away to sound the warning starts like midway through the entire betrayal, and then it's like, what if there were a whole bunch of wacky adventures that happened just on their way out of town? <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> You're skipping forward. And it's like, so they can get the battle barge in this one. Are they even going to get the? Are they even going to get to the emperor? No, no. They're going to get to an anteroom to meet the emperor's like secretaries. That's it. That's and I was like, I can't read fifty novels of this. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. I, I like the idea of there being fifty novels. Like, I'm not going to read them, but I think part of the appeal of the whole 40k thing. Is that it, it? It's this infinitely unfolding Wikipedia rabbit hole. It's like there will never, it will never end. There's always more. You know what I mean? And it's just like I don't want to read all fifty books, but it makes me happy that they're there. You know what I mean? It's just like it seems part of the appeal is like the more is more. Um, for for Warhammer, yeah. Well, well, I guess part of it too is. The the idea, I think maybe one reason this universe is so enduring as well is that like you kind of find your corner of it mm. and that you dig. Like so part of it is people have their space marine chapters that they're into and they're like, I just want to read stories. Like, so what are you gonna get out of the horse heresy? You gotta figure out what your boys were up to during the time <laughs> of the heresy. Okay. Uh what was like you don't maybe you maybe you don't care about what Fulgrim got up to. I get that. But maybe you care a lot about like what oh who's the head of the space wolves uh the space wolf primark oh geez i don't remember yeah uh, he's got some absurd name this, i used to know this there's somebody uh, no it's lehman it russ i was like there's no way it's lehman russ it is lehman russ <laughs> uh but yeah you're like uh, i gotta know what lehman russ is up to uh in this time and so there's you know there's you can sort of follow you you read those stories um for me i think it sounds like we all like there the, i guess that within warhammer there's kind of the abnet verse which <laughs> yeah kind they, of and they with. make people make a distinction because there apparently are certain terms and things that kind of only appear 
in the Abnet verse. And I would say that from the stuff I have read, he wrote the first Horse Heresy book. There's a drop off in quality of writing that happens when it's not him in charge. Uh, those others, the, the other Horace Heresy books I read were serviceable, uh, but but Abnet really seems to be able to like write well in a way that not all of the other authors seem to be able to do, from what I've seen. I mean, that's that's just like all licensed stuff has like their their string of like really like good writers that they work with, and then there's the people like, yeah, you people buy anything. <laughs> you'll 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 read you'll read whatever um yeah and and so like i i think an, another way a lot of us end up spending time in it is uh you know i i recently got into gaunt's ghosts which is basically dan abnett writing like military fiction uh he's doing like hammer slammers basically uh you know in in 40k um which works really really well um but like yeah it, it's a, it's a weird thing because none of but none of this translates into me being like i want to get into that i want to get into that tabletop game mm. uh instead i more just want like and i guess this is maybe where i'm at right now playing a bunch of these games i've seen so many variations on the uh-oh chaos was lurking behind this other big threat and the stuff that doesn't seem to get very much emphasis, uh, I guess, uh, what was it? Hired Gun, uh, the the stream, uh, the, the stream game, yeah, Necromunda yeah. Hired Gun, did starts did, to get that. Who played? Did anyone? I played it. Did any? Who else played it? A little bit, yeah. Okay, but yeah, it's uh, like the underworld shooter type oh, thing. Oh yes, yes, yes. I played some of that. Yes. Yeah. Basically, anything that takes place in the hive cities. And this is one of the reasons I'm excited for dark tide is that it is like, you're in a hive city doing hive city stuff and it's not space Marines and it's smaller scale. And that's like, I wanted Necromunda hired gun to be like this. And this is the same we can talk about. Cause you played a bunch of space Hulk this weekend or Deathwing, but yeah, the, yeah, the made by the same people that made Necromunda hired Necromunda hired gun where it's just like, their ability to build these settings and do all of this aesthetic work that like really works for me, like the level design and, and hired gun and the way things look and the music and the same thing in uh, Deathwing. Like there's this aesthetic pleasure to what they're doing. Everything sounds and looks like it should. And then the game just isn't quite there like every time. And I always feel let down by them. Uh, like I got a decent way into hired gun. I just, it, it just, I just had to stop <laughs> because it, there's just so much jank and so much that just doesn't quite work that it turned me off as much as I love like the hive city setting. There was even that, uh, did you guys play that Eisenhorn game? They, this is the one they stopped Steam. selling. Because yeah. Was, oh, so, oh, really? So wait, did okay. you actually play it? I I played it at the time it came out. What is uh, that? What, how? What is it? it how is not, it? It was not very good. What are it they trying like, to do? So what you what you'd want right is like forty k like kind of Batman right? That's like yeah. or, or like you know you're like a detective who's going around but kind of badass. Uh, and I remember it just being this weird action third person action game with some dialogue prompts. Uh, I you know it was a while ago. I remember it was 
at the time I was still pretty hot on Eisenhorn. So I was like, this cool. I remember these characters and I remember not enjoying it. And they delisted it. Yeah. You That's, can't buy it anymore. They took it off. completely. I wonder if they're going to go back to that, um, the Eisenhorn and they're like, there can be only one Eisenhorn. You know, we need to make a good one. Well, I think the Eisenhorn stuff is, <sighs> so I think, I think the, the other thing we're, we're getting at there a little bit is, so there's some stuff that like the RTSs are really good at, which is th- th- one of the other selling points of Dawn of War games is like, you know, medieval Catholicism has a lot of great stuff going for it already. But what if it had like the most powerful machine guns ever devised attached to like churches and shit uh and and it's like yes that that would in fact rule i love that um and rts's get that because it's like this was dawn of war right that opening cutscene with the fucking like you know the one space marine just going ham on the orcs and like cleaving them in twain with his chainsword and like blasting the pieces with the bolter all that stuff that stuff's awesome uh but the other stuff that like they 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 kind of don't get at very well is yeah there's much more explicitly like 2000 AD inspired shit where like in the empire there's this whole like sci-fi uh dystopia that depending on depending on the moment it becomes more or less cyberpunk right now cyberpunk is very emphasized in that setting uh but and that's kind of the the realm that Eisenhorn and Ravener inhabit and I feel like they haven't they haven't really pulled that off in the games because because uh, Sturman uh, with like Necro, Necromunda uh, hired gun and to a lesser extent like Deathwing ultimately they're still making like very mechanically done shooters but if you're just looking for like the vibe of those abnet stories where it's like, wow, it's really weird to be like a detective in the, (laughs) in the Imperium, you don't get that. Mm -hmm. And they just haven't, they have not found, and and maybe this is just the, the nature of the way they handle that license now. Uh, You know, for, for the most part, it seems like they license it out and people make 40 K tactical tactics games you know, in, in one form or another. But as far as like anything where like a little more narrative driven, which I think is kind of, that's kind of what I was also hoping for from like higher gun was something maybe with a little more like narrative legs to it. They, they really don't, those games don't do much with that. And I think that's, that's the other weird thing is, but in a weird way, it makes me, it, it continues to make me more like hungry for the fucking source books. I think that space Marine game, uh, uh, walk the line. I, yeah. I think y- y- you got this kind of uh, fantasy fulfillment of this badass space marine who you know is the scourge of the, you know, can can go, y- y- you get the wish fulfillment of that, right? Like you get to jump into the shoes of this badass space marine who also is has to kind of go through a journey a bit, uh, uh, you know, as much as a 40K journey goes. But, you know, like, oh, the cha- it was chaos all, maybe the chaos was in us all, all along. You know, that that journey. But you get some of that while being able to shoot a bolter with, you know, rounds that explode inside of people. So I, I thought that was, I thought that was 
I, I'm looking forward to Space Marine 2 a lot. It's probably one of the ones I'm more looking forward to. But it's a very different vibe than the Dawn of War where you're throwing all the armies at each other. Uh, you know, and that's and that's a different vibe. It's actually I kind of turned off a little bit as Dawn of War went and became more hero focused, kind of like all RTS yes. game, games became, where the camera gets closer and closer and closer and closer until you're just not a third person, you know, shooter. I did not like Dawn of War two very much, and I know that was like maybe the most popular of that series. Uh, but even that one, I was like. This is becoming way too much of a hero mm-hmm. RTS. Uh, and then the third one, they're like, what if it's explicitly like just <laughs> on the border of a MOBA? Yeah. Um, but I much preferred the first one where it was like kind of a more traditional. It was a company of heroes forerunner, <laughs> essentially. But with Space Marines, and it turns out like that's what I want. Um, like, yeah, like I like. Yeah, they're <clears throat> all they're all different versions. And I think it's maybe some of what I like about the the warhammer 40k i mean i I consider horus heresy basically the a plot right and you know all these other games have like the triple z you know we're so there are so many stories going on so i i like the oh my gosh there's a thousand soldiers let's you know you can and dawn of war they let you and rts has kind of got away from this you can play all the other factions in the game and that was kind of awesome they had campaigns for other factions i what are the Necrons, the ones that are like the undead? Like, I had no idea. And they, they went up being like my favorite weird side story thing of like, who the fuck are these guys? And I'm like, oh, they're people who woke up uh, like a million years ago, whatever. They sold, they put their souls into like other bodies. Is that, is that right? Like, they, they're like, they were in pyramids and they have, I don't know, whatever was going on. I, I like were, that. Uh, oh, they're the ones with the tomb worlds. Yeah, they're, yes. they're, they were a semi-human race, and I'm going to script some of the lore here. They were a semi-human race that were seeking immortality, um, and the way they did that was by putting themselves into machine bodies. And they've been a re- they're very ancient. I think they have like the most territory, but a lot of it's asleep. I was just going to point out that it's like it's funny to me because it's like everything you said is like interesting and good about the universe, but it's like the actual what they are is someone said it's like you know it'd be cool if we put the Terminator. <laughs> in this universe and that's what they are and like what warhammer is always doing it's like it's lore chasing aesthetics mm-hmm. right so it's like i didn't know about these noise marines but i'm looking at pictures of that right now and it's awesome and hilarious it's like space marines in leopard print like a glam rock uh guitar machine guns and somebody was just like that would be cool let's put it in the game and then somebody's like okay i gotta make a book out of this mm-hmm. it's like so that's what's always happening so it's like somebody was like oh let's put the term in, let's put the t100 in warhammer and then somebody has to come later and like write 14 <laughs> books about it and ex- explain why they're there totally yeah yes. <laughs> sorry go ahead have you played this is kind of a smaller scale 40k game has anyone played mechanicus Oh gosh! This is I the f- other recent tactics one, right? It's 2018. Yeah, it's, it's kind of XCOMy. What you're doing is you're playing the Martians, who are the weird like tech priest people. Yeah, and you are going into Necron tomb worlds, and like you're trying to go as far as you can, and like get as much tech as you can without waking up the Necrons and getting classic destroyed. tech priest shit. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's it's pretty good, you know. And it, it's again, it's not Space Marines. It's a side mm. story. Um, it's pretty, it's, it's good and it's interesting. Um, well, I was going to ask a quick question because Emmanuel played a bunch of these games. I feel like 
Dawn of War 1 still might have the most we're doing everything all at once mm. uh, type story. Because by the end of that, I feel like they had just like dumped every faction they possibly could into that series. Um, you know, there's the one that they basically had a risk map of a planet that you're was that Soulstorm? That's Dark Crusade. Yeah. Uh, but like. So you just played a bunch of this because like I got as far as yes, this Imperial Guard campaign's all right. I don't mind it, but like I'm not I'm not super I'm not I'm not trying to continue with it. But you, you kept going like. How far like does does Dawn of War like do like try to do justice to the other parts of the Lord? They're cool around these other races. Um, does it sort of solve this problem of like always adopting the space fascist like lens and only telling stories through like the the space marine got like lens uh i mean i would say it does do justice but i'm like with the caveat that it's like there is the most written about space marines but it's all all of them are pretty shallow it's like the space marines for the emperor and then the eldar is like you know, we have a secret, you know, what I mean, like that's their story, you know, <laughs> and then it's just like all of them are pretty flat. They're all like one note civilizations. So it's like, it, it, yes, it does do justice to those very simple premises. I would say having played them all, I think that uh, the first game and especially with all these expansions back in back in the the era where expansion served this like very clear purpose with strategy games it's like here's four factions and yeah. now we're adding a faction in a campaign and it's like all that stuff worked really well and then by the end there was like i don't know eight factions um they all played really well i played online a little bit at the time and it was like not perfectly balanced but it was pretty fun and i think the reason they kept zooming in is because like they did it. It's like, they totally, they like, they, they made the game, you know what I mean? And you can make it again and like do it with better graphics. But I think probably a relic, they were like, we want to like challenge ourselves and make something more interesting. So it's like Dawn of War zooms in a little bit. Um, and then they keep zooming in until it's like literally a third person shooter. <laughs> That's kind of like what happened, which I'm fine with. It was very fun to go through that journey. I think they execute well on each of those layers. Yeah, I I did I I I like the zoomed out thing, but I think they did with the positional stuff on the hero units, like being able to set up choke points and you know uh, a more tactical game where you have classes instead of kind of uh, building armies. I I think it did work, and they, I think they had some upgrade stuff in there too, some um, points dropping in, and that and that I, you know, like I said, it for me. There's those are the three types of Warhammer properties I like: the big zoomed out what is happening as masses of armies the universe is just colliding in this stew this churning right in this uh, forever battle and that's like dawn of war one and then you have all right give me the tale of the super squad the kind of the uh, uh the hulk uh the, the, the um what do they call them the death the guy the terminator armor suits right give me yeah. give me that story of like where the where the elite team going in there and we've got to fight off rid ridiculous odds and then you have the Space Marine story, which is like, give me one guy who's got to figure it all out, who's questioning the very existence of everything. Uh, that's the Eisenhorn story, right? That's like the, give me this story. And those are the three ones that I, I feel like there's room in that universe for all of those because it's, it's all encompassed. It's infinite. Like, I think like you guys said, it's like, it's just this, 
it feels like somebody just, you know, was like, you can do whatever you want here. And then, you know, like if you want to make your guitar guy, just backfill it with some story, right? Like, you know, and that's kind of what I feel are the origins of paint your own chapter and then fill in your backstory. And this, there's universes big enough for all of it. Rob, I have a question for you about Dawn of War. Um, as somebody who's played of a lot of RTSs, yeah. <clears throat> um, I remember it, it wasn't just a big deal at the time because it was Warhammer. I also remember it being as like a small revolution for RTS at the time where it's like up until then, strategy games were very much like you build a base. There's like many buildings, all these tech trees and a lot of focus on resource gathering. And it was just like, um, what's it called? Action per minute. You know what I yeah. mean? Or uh, is that the right term? Like yeah. how, how many how many clicks in you can get? And then Relic comes along and they they simplify a lot of how RTSs work. And rather than like going to Tiberium fields and building Tiberium collectors, you're just like, hold this point. Everybody's fighting for like these five points on a map. And um, it seemed like to have an actual impact on design like going forward. Yeah, I mean, there it's a it's a hugely influential game. I think partly it is the base builder RTS genre is already kind of in decline. Um, that it was like the, the 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 genre standard bearers had kind of started to wane a little bit. Um, Command and Conquer was like had moved from kind of like cool camp to just being kind of corny. Um, Age of Empires was in the process of you know finding itself without any real champions at Microsoft um, and being sort of awkwardly reinvented with the third game. And then there had been like weird little offshoots of the genre with like games like myth um, or you had relic making home world. Uh, I can't remember if it's around the same time, but there'd also been uh, like world in conflict uh, had a a sci-fi predecessor that was like, really tactics focused but yeah this one like really cut down on the base building and the fact that it became like really about like terrain and like cover modifiers and such and like positioning um so it became to your point like a lot of the apm thing was about firing off little like micro abilities for units and then also making sure that you were taking effective actions to keep your economy uh churning churning forward uh this one was a like this this was much more about like well if you find a good position you sort of like handle these troops well and carefully without taking a ton of like fast actions you can still like have more efficient engagements and also and i think this is crucial the pacing was just slow enough that you had enough time to sort of look at it run like i like I remember you sort you'd sort of flex that camera, right? The 3D camera, and you'd sort of like push it closer to the ground to look through the action. Now it's a little diorama. I did that all the time. Cause like once you're once your guys were fighting it out and you're like, this this engagement seems like it's 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 going okay. Let's just watch these fucking melt up bombs and uh you know, plasma guns like you know, trade fire. That'll look awesome. Um and the the weird thing is it was so successful that I think it kind of gave us Company of Heroes. Mm-hmm. But then Company of Heroes was eating that that like it, it that was that design. That's where they were going with it. And so they just kind of kept reinventing what the Dawn of War series was. And for me, it never clicked as hard as that first one. Um, 
And then, you know, they went as far as have the offshoot of Space Marine, which was really, really cool. Um, And that one did have like, you know, has has your classic uh, the Inquisition shows up and it's like, you know, who's the most evil <laughs> is the Inquisition because, you know, they're corrupt, you know, they're up to their eyeballs in chaos. Uh, and, and Space Marine is entirely about that, where you're you're just trying to you're just a humble Space Marine trying to save a Forge world from from the orcs. And this creepy Inquisitor shows up and he's like, I need you for a side mission. You're like, don't go with him. But you do. It's always the way. Yeah. They, they're too close to the flame, man. They, uh, it, it is the, it, like you said at the beginning, it's the classic Warhammer 40K problem. It's, you know. Yeah. I, th- there was, um, what's that game that just came out? The, okay. I, I know Warhammer. Demon Hunters? Yeah. That one's not so bad either. That's the that one rules. It's really yeah. good. It's very good. That uh, one, yeah, I'm uh pretty deep into a campaign. It's excellent. Yeah. Um did you did you play it at all? I yeah, I really liked it. It's 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 basically like, you know, when Warhammer is like, what if this game you like but Warhammer? And the, you know, it just kind of works. It's it's just XCOM but with Warhammer. And surprisingly, the overworld map stuff and all, all that all the other traveling around and the the upgrade points and the trees, it all kind of works in a, in a way that I'm it does not an XCOM. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the campaign is really well structured. Um, and they even get at things like you get cool loot. And so if you get access to like, here's a level, a tier three sword or something for a space Marine. it's like, mm. yes, now we can <laughs> truly slay the emperor's enemies. Not uh, having a, not having a chance to miss in a game like that is so like it's so frustrating in XCOM when you've got a shotgun you're right next to somebody you've got a 95% chance to hit and you miss mm-hmm. just like what happened there these are space <laughs> marines though they never miss they may do right. one point of damage there may be people behind cover that you can't quite put as much on as you want to but you're always going to hit your target mm-hmm. yeah no I, I I dig that game a lot um and I, and I think something that that game gets at, which is an underappreciated challenge with 40K stuff is, and I think this is like especially true of the, the Space Marines. I ended up writing about this, but like Space Marine lore is always like their ceramite armor can resist the strongest blows. A, a spaceship could fire directly at them and they would be fine because of the ceramite armor and their faith in the emperor. And, you know, their guns hit harder. Like the space Marines are immortal. They're impossible to kill one space Marine can like take on a million orcs, whatever. If you make a game about that, that's not interesting. That's the Superman problem of, you know, so what? I, I'm basically going to chill until Doomsday comes out. We just kick <laughs> each other in the face until someone dies. Uh, they they strike a really good balance here of you guys feel like tanky as hell. And they've got that like precision. But you still like you're dealing with the odds that like you are vulnerable just by the sheer weight of numbers. But if you want that moment of like brothers we must charge through the fire activate your age of shields you know you get the massive armor points and like you just watch your dudes just shrug off like shot after shot and it's like you know an entire enemy platoon just unloaded on them for a turn and everyone's like 
all right, continue plowing <laughs> forward. And that like that that is hard to do in these games. Uh, I think Space Marine, as much as like that shooter, still struggled to have that feeling of like, are do your dudes feel appropriately like Space Marines? And I think they they struggled with it a bit. Uh, but yeah, Cascade Demon Hunters nails that. Um, no, huge huge fan of that game and. And unlike you, Vinny, I think I'm, I'm also really helpful for Space Marine 2. Um, Chaos Gate Demon Hunters, a sequel to uh, an RTS from 1998 that predates Dawn of War that people also really like. I had no oh. memory of that game whatsoever. It's on GOG, I think is the only place that's selling it. Uh, but it looks like it looks like a, a, a StarCraft knockoff. People <laughs> like it. It's supposed to be good. Man, there are so... There's such a hit and miss problem in the current Warhammer video game space. Like there's, you get everything from like chaos gate to what was the trash is maybe a strong word, but, uh, the DACA squadron. Did you get where you're like works in the planes? What? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh yeah. It's it's okay. You guys don't need to, (laughs) you don't need DACA squadron. I, I think it's one of, it felt like it was maybe that's real. Uh, yep. No, I found it on steam. Uh, I, you know, like I'll try these things out and be like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll is this going to be my, um, you know, flights action game that I, I've wanted crimson. Is this the new crimson yeah, skies? This is, this is crimson skies, but orcs. Yeah. Yeah. Is it and good? It's not. No, Fuck. no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it it's got that feel of like was this developed for a touchscreen or maybe like a, a you know a mobile thing? But there are so many Warhammer games that just come out. It's like they had, it's it's like a government project for game development. Like, okay, we will let you use a licensed property. We've got the Warhammer one. You guys can make a Warhammer game, uh, and uh, that's the one you cut your teeth on, and uh, we'll give you. A, We'll give you 10K as a grant and go for it. Uh, you can make a Warhammer game. You applied for this Warhammer grant, go for it. I was so going to say 40K Regicide, which is 40K but chess in its yes. title. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it's like Warhammer has become, or 40K specifically has become, it's like open source lore, right? So it's like if you're a game developer and you need to make a video game, it's like wine vest time and like world building and like storytelling and all that you just go to github and like grab whatever portion of lore that you need and like make a game and 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 games workshop is into it like it seems that the flip that happened is like once they had a hit they were like from what i don't think we know the details of how the licensing works i think that's like they keep that pretty pretty close to the vest but um it's rather uh... than do a Star Wars type deal where it's just like, here, EA, you make the Star Wars games. You make all of them. It's like you have exclusive rights. And that seems like a bad deal for the IP owner um, if you don't care about quality, <laughs> right? Because it's like what, what, what they're doing now is like, you tell us what game you're going to make and we're going to slice a very narrow portion of our IP and you can we'll write up a deal for that and then you can make your game. And that's why we're seeing this explosion of 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 40k games and i think specifically like there's like less b games but a growing share of b games are warhammer games it's like in the future i think (laughs) all b games will just be 40k games you know what i mean because it's like why not really good point that you're right dark future of game development (laughs) (laughs) 
it's true. Like the mid tier game doesn't exist anymore, but in Warhammer land, like it is robust. Mm. Like they, they hang heavy from the vine. These B <laughs> games uh, that you can, you can enjoy. Like, man, I wish somebody would make a small scale tactics game. That's maybe not XCOM scale. Well, here we, here we go. Um, <laughs> right. And I, I like that. It's like, yes. I don't know. It's like, I'm into that. Like, uh, uh, quality of game, you know what I mean? Because they're a little different. They they take risks that you see why other big developers don't take. Like, for example, Rob, you were playing this Deathwing game. I don't know. I'm still going to try it. It's like, Galt has played it, and he told me it's bad. Maybe we need and to then, play it together. Yeah. Rob, you played it. You told me it's bad. The reviews are bad, but I'm looking at video, and I'm like, I don't know. It's Dude, it looks so good. <laughs> I, I, got, I started playing it because, like... It was buggy and like apparently horrible on release. Yeah. The enhanced edition's pretty stable. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm on a Space Hulk. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing it. I'm actually I'm one telling of the you that Terminators. It's going to go away. Um, but it's, it's so big. It's, it's so big. Slip through your hands like sand. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's also like, man, there's just a lot of corridors that look identical on this shit. Like, but I'm like, but it's a Space Hulk, so of course it should. It's, that's what it should look like, Zachney. You can't complain about being on a Space Hulk being awesome. Uh, I can tell you the exact moment that game lost me, and it was the Enhanced Edition, because I went back and played it, because it was unplayable at release. Uh, and then I went back and played it on Enhanced Edition. When I realized that the Gene Stealer spawns were in specific places, and you could just point your gun at the hole, and just you'd be you didn't have to worry about them anymore. That was when it lost me. You got to play along with the game. You can't you can't sabotage it. Like I that. will. And this is, I think, the ultimate show of 40K fandom. If you guys are going to play it, I'll, I'll reinstall it. Okay. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. Because uh, I can't with this commanding my AI squad mates anymore. I no, need it's no good. Uh, I need to be there with my battle brothers. Uh, but but yeah, like and, and the Star Wars thing is interesting, too, because I think in some ways, I think Games Workshop found this out, which is if someone's got your whole license on the hook, you're just going to end up sort of like and something happens with them. Like what happened mm-hmm. with THQ? You're kind of sitting there being like, uh, so when are we going to realize all this value? And like Star Wars, they're never going to do another deal like they did with EA. Right. Where it's like EA go wild, make Star Wars games. And it's like, well, Dice's record is bad and getting worse. Let's see what they can do with it. And here's a coolish Zelda Dark Souls game. That's it. That's what we're gonna do right. with during the Star Wars Renaissance. We're gonna make effectively two games out of this and, out of this whole thing. You know, and and they're um and they're they go for the big swing, right? They the Star Wars stuff is like it's a triple A big huge game, and I feel like the Warhammer stuff is like. You pay us, you know, whatever their licensing fee is and make whatever you need to make. Is it like, we'll, we'll be okay. Make a billion games and we'll make maybe a percentage of, you know, the big swing on the Star Wars stuff is like when they miss, the whole thing collapses. They whiff, they strike out. But the we're here talking about like seven okay Warhammer games out of 45 that have come out. But, you know, you just well, don't play those other ones. And what's weird is when Star Wars games were hot, that was also the model, right? They just did a ton of it in-house, but some of it was external. But, like, look, I love Dark Forces 1. <laughs> it was a... I'm not going to say people who said it was, like, a lot like Doom were mm-hmm. entirely wrong. Like, that, that does some injustice. But, like, 
like that was kind of the model, but instead it's, it sort of got stuck in AAA hell where like nothing interesting can happen because uh, you need to like realize those, those returns. Uh, but yeah, meanwhile, 40K is out here showing us how it's done. Uh, by all means, take take what you will, uh, you know, give it give it your best shot. And maybe that's one of the other reasons that maybe that's one of the reasons that uh, my enthusiasm is actually being fueled here is that. That's sort of like to that point that you made a manual like. There are so many weird, interesting little games that happen with a 40K label like smacked on them. And so to a degree, as derivative as this shit is and as silly as the lore is, it's like. We're gonna, here's goofy. Here's a goofy little real time battleship game. You want to play? You want to like? And they behave like little bathtub toys. By the way, like if you play Battlefield Gothic Armada, <laughs> it's like watching ships spin around in a bathtub. Mm. <laughs> but it's like they're forty k ships, and it's got kind of a cool, persistent campaign. Like, I'll give it a shot, sure. And it, it is doing the thing that I think uh, I often hear people say that they want Star Wars to do, which is just like let a bunch of creative people in. And let them make whatever they want and make like a, you know, something that is completely irrelevant to like the A story. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then you get a lot of, you get a lot of crap, but you also get a lot of creative, weird, cool things. So as we wrap up here, I am curious, what is, what's the dream weird 40k project? you want to see because as we're talking about this i realized what i want uh is i want watch it i or one of watch it i's friends to make a ravener or eisenhorn game like okay. basically unavowed but 40k like okay. take 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 unavowed and make it 40k and the weird thing is i think that works i think it makes sense i think you could i think you could do it uh but in terms of like just sheer weirdness like that that for me is the that's that's the itch that that doesn't get scratched is the whole where is the game that feels like some of the interesting lore um and that doesn't always exist uh so for me i look at the adventure game format as like a place we could we could see something with the point and click adventure game format. oh yeah fully fully yeah yeah, yeah. just Locked use, inside, yeah. Use inquisitorial rosette on street urchin. <laughs> love it, love it. But you can pull the gun once in a while. Yeah, like, of they, course. They, yeah, 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 yeah. There are a couple of scenes I could see that for sure. And I'm thinking, what what is the dream project? I got one. I, go ahead. Uh, immersive sim mm-hmm. set in an undercity, where you are a lowly uh, person working your way up through the ranks of the gangs and taking on jobs and maybe you brush up against chaos. Maybe it never comes Man, up. Man, hired gun really fucked you up, didn't it? <laughs> it did. It did. <laughs> like, mm. yeah, so hired gun, but an immersive sim and not doom and good. Yes, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> I mean, Dark Tide 2, I'm really excited for yeah, it. Yeah, it felt, for sure. But it felt like cheating to say that. That exists. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be yeah, playing exactly. it soon. After, like, we just got to play a bunch of Deathwing uh, between then and now. Oh, God. Uh, uh, I was going to say, I want a PC building simulator type, car mechanic type 
game where you're just like collecting, buying, painting, and selling miniatures. Like I want to do the whole <laughs> miniature thing, but I want to do it on my computer. That's that's what I want to do, and like build the sets and and all that stuff. Yeah. Then you discover wanna... secretly the thing's hooked up to a 3D printer interface somewhere, <laughs> and someone's just putting nerds to work, generating like shit for their Etsy shop. Love it. Yes, it is. It, right. It's the, the, some horrible dark future where whatever you make is actually being like, why, why are they making these weird models now? It's like uh, some Ender's Game style. Uh, uh, you mean it's all real? Um, I, I want to play as the Emperor. Uh, give me, give me. I want to play as the uh, as the emperor on the golden, like a tycoon game where uh, you know I am, I am on the golden throne, and I, you know, I see all the astral paths and chaos, and you're you're doing the, you know, don't they have to use him to navigate the warp, right? Don't the yeah. psychers have to like commune? I want to be. Like, all right, we got to put uh, some troops over here. I got to build a forge over here. Uh, you know, galaxy spanning. But as the uh, emperor and, you know, every your resources are, you know, psyker. You got you got to like, you know, <laughs> how many are we going to sacrifice today? I burned out a thousand. I love that, especially the tension with like slaking your your mighty thirst for psychers. <laughs> That's right. Because, uh, like, useful resource, like, these black ships could come to me and get in my tummy, or they could go out and do things for the Imperium. Uh, yeah. It's, it's difficult to difficult to choose. Uh, I do think it's telling, like, all of us are like, so more Imperium stories, right? And it's like, mm. yeah, more Imperium stories. <laughs> and, like, I think if you talk to, because when we were, we were uh, doing a bunch of shows, uh, streams on, like, cascade demon hunters there's people who are like you know the tau used to be like explicitly like space communists and shit and i'm like what and uh, i'm curious to know more but but right now i'm i'm just deep in these imperium feelings uh mm. you know that's uh, these are the yeah, stories i read maybe there's a story maybe there's a, a this is probably out there because everybody there i feel like anything you say has probably been a 40k story but where's the orc who who makes it into a space marine like a unit like the the like the the cool orc who's like this one's different than all the rest and you know there's just tension about uh well you know him, him with being heresy there. there sir with yeah, Zeno, <laughs> let a Zeno in no thank uh, you no but saying. actually like, but the orcs are weird like this is the this is the funny thing is like there's got to be good orc novels because the the thing about the stories is like they're like orcs on the one hand are kind of like hooliganish dumbasses, but are also kind of geniuses and like really devious. And so like there's got to be those stories like in um, God, what was it in uh, the Gaunt's Ghost series? Remember, he tells the story about like how Gaunt's mentor got got was. <laughs> The orcs knew they were going to lose a campaign, but they were like, man, there's some really good vintages wine on this planet. Let's poison them so that if Imperium <laughs> Fraser Crane comes through and treats himself, he'll fucking die. And like, it works. They like the orcs kill like one of the greatest commissars in the Imperium because like, they're just like, I'll bet somebody fancy wants to drink this wine. And that's how, that's how they get to him. So like, I'm like, send in, your recs for games or stories that like 
don't just have us pledging fealty uh mm. to the emperor um i mean obviously we're gonna continue doing that but you know i'm 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 a lifelong learner and uh i'm uh, i'm fascinated the, the seeds of doubt these. have been sown the corruption is already i want to learn about other people and cultures turn his feet know. off the 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 chaos is <laughs> i can see it it's 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 penetrating we got two worlds jerry <laughs> <laughs> all right that'll do it for this week's waypoints we hope you've enjoyed the break please be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice if it should allow such a thing uh, i'd like to think we're a five-star podcast but it's not for me to say uh vinny why don't you tell the people about what you are up to uh these days over at next lander what can uh anything you want to promote Sure. Yeah, we've got uh, over at Nextlander. We are doing um, you know a lot of video game coverage, as you might guess. But we also started a, a watchcast, the movie podcast, as well. And you can find that alongside our regular podcast on that same preferred uh, uh, podcast platform that you were just rating this one on for five stars. So it's called the Watchcast, and it's where we. We don't watch along. We watch the movies and then we uh, talk about them. We're going through the original Star Trek series along with some other movies. We just had a submarine block with Red October and Crimson Tide. Yeah, two masterpieces. The like (laughs) that's right, man. Like 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 those two plus does boat and you basically like that's That's the third one. That's yeah, the the submarine genre. Like that's that's it. All right, so we'll be back again with a Waypoint Radio on Friday. Uh, Until then, thanks for hanging out with us, and uh, please remember to continue pledging your faith to the Emperor. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.